Join Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin for a new edition of the Capital Ideas Podcast. In unscripted conversations with investment professionals, you'll hear real stories about successes and lessons learned, informed by decades of investment experience. It's your look inside one of the world's largest asset managers. New episodes are available monthly. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Invest 30 minutes in an episode today. Published by American Funds Distributors, Inc. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. If you're a small business owner, you know that it isn't just your business, it's your life. And whatever your business might be, you want someone who understands. That's why you might want to check out State Farm Small Business Insurance. Why? Because State Farm agents are small business owners too, living and working in your community. That means they know what it takes to help you personalize your policies for your small business needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. This is Recode Media, Peter Kafka. That is me. This is not the episode we were going to bring you this week. We taped that one last week. It was a big look back at the year in AI. Kevin Roos in the New York Times really helped us sort of walk through the hype cycle, the reality. It was great. And now we can't use it because of the events of the last week. And so Kevin has graciously agreed to come back again. He's on no sleep. He may collapse during the podcast. That could be a good episode. Uh, Welcome back, Kevin. That'd be great content. Yeah, if I if I just start snoring uh, during the podcast, just uh, just wake me up, okay? It's it's a good clip, at least. Uh, we're recording this at one thirty four on Monday, November twentieth. Things could change by the time you hear this. But Kevin, let's do some really basic stuff. Who is the CEO of OpenAI right now? As of this moment, and you know, as you said, things can change by the minute. Uh, it seems like so. As of this moment, the CEO of OpenAI is Emmett Shear. Um, he is the former CEO of Twitch, and he was appointed late last night by the board of OpenAI on an interim basis. And and prior to Friday afternoon, if you just turned off your computers and didn't check your phones Friday afternoon, you might have thought the CEO of OpenAI was Sam Altman. Where is Sam Altman now? Well, I don't know physically where he is in the world. Um, I assume he's uh, at home in San Francisco. But spiritually and and sort of organizationally, he is now a at least purportedly an employee of Microsoft. He and Greg Brockman, the president and co-founder of OpenAI, are leading a new advanced AI research uh, team at Microsoft. Again, this is all as of... Uh, announcements made late last night in sort of the fog of war, um, but it appears that he and Greg and hundreds of other OpenAI employees are prepared to decamp to Microsoft. So to back up, before we go any further, last week, OpenAI was the breakout startup of the AI boom. It was worth a theoretical $86 billion. Now Microsoft has essentially acquired most of the talent from there, and it's now a unit of Microsoft, or there's a version of OpenAI that's now a version, a unit of Microsoft? We still don't know the exact details, because again, all this is shifting so quickly. Mm -hmm. Um, But what we know is that Microsoft uh, CEO Satya Nadella announced uh, on Sunday night that Sam and Greg Brockman were going to be the, the heads of this uh, new AI uh, research team, essentially kind of a mini open AI inside yeah. Microsoft, and that they had uh, they were they were 
doing what they could to uh, bring over as many OpenAI employees as wanted to come. And the, the sort of plan is that these people, you know, unless by some 11th hour miracle, Sam Altman and Greg Brockman are reinstalled at OpenAI, and unless the board of OpenAI resigns, um, the plan as of right now is for those people to all go work for Microsoft. So this is an amazing story in tech. It's the biggest story of, of many, many months. You had to spend the whole weekend reporting on it. Again, thank you for coming. So we're going to dig into how all this happened, what it means. But if you're just a regular person who's used ChatGPT, that's the product OpenAI makes, uh, and played with it, and maybe they did a homework assignment for you, or, you're, you know, that's kind of your interest in this. Why should you care about what happens to OpenAI and the fact that OpenAI now seems to basically move to Microsoft in the middle of the weekend? Well, it matters because OpenAI is a massively important company in Silicon Valley. Um, not only do they make ChatGPT, which is you know the most popular AI product on the market, it's got 100 million uh, weekly users, but it's also the company that's sort of at the front edge, the leading edge of the AI boom. They are the 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 people with the most advanced models, uh, the biggest sort of bench of uh, top AI talent, and they have been kind of setting the agenda for the entire tech world over the past year. And so it is really a stunning turn of events that Sam Altman, uh, who has been leading this company through a period of intense growth, was pushed out by the board in this dramatic sort of mysterious coup led by his chief scientist and a, a number of board members who are also affiliated with this movement, effective altruism, that thinks that AI could take over the world and kill us all. Uh, it is just an insane story and so dramatic and cinematic and, and it's almost certainly the most um, unusual story that I've ever covered in my career as a tech reporter. And I want to get into all those details, but I, I just want to channel one of my coworkers in Slack today who's not covering this stuff but cares about the world. It says, this just seems like the same old, same old. There was a company, a big, important startup. Now Microsoft owns a big, important startup. It's just the same old, same old. Uh, that's that's a jaded Monday response, but also I I get it. Why Why should you care who owns this stuff? Well, I think it's just intrinsically interesting because mm -hmm. of all the drama and the the back and forth. I mean, this is not how tech business as usual gets nope. conducted, you know, over a weekend before a holiday, you know, in this kind of cloak and dagger but, way. But, but um, you've probably seen the social network and that looks like guys screwing each other over for money. And it's a sad story. Maybe you've heard about Twitter firing its CEOs one or after another. It seems like, you know, if you want to be really uh, reductive about it, this is just a bunch of rich white guys messing around with each other again. <laughs> I mean, if that's how you want to think about it, then, then you know, I don't want to dissuade anyone. This is or, my straw man. I'm trying to get right, you to do it. I mean, no one has to care about this story. I'm just saying why I care about this story and why I think it's actually like quite important. I also think it's just the, the stakes here are much different than the traditional kind of business dispute. Um, these are not people squabbling over money or, uh, you know, control of, of some company. This is really a fight between two visions of the future. Um, in one of them, 
AI is an exciting product and an opportunity to build um, new apps and new systems to transform the global economy and to sort of lead us into a glorious utopia. And in the other one, it is a menace uh, and a, a kind of a looming threat to humanity that is getting ever more powerful and that could someday wipe us out. I mean, it, it sounds like the plot of a science fiction movie, mm-hmm. um, but it is really happening. These are really the stakes that the people involved think are involved here. And so, you know, for that reason, I think it's of interest to a lot of people. So let, let's talk about that fight, um, because I think some of this was, if you cared to look, was evident, but most people weren't paying attention to this stuff. When the, when OpenAI put out its press release on Friday afternoon, it seemed like this might have been a good old-fashioned business dispute. They said uh, Sam Altman's leaving, and then they normally in a press release like that would say he's going to you know uh, pursue other interests, spend more time with his family, he's going to stay on as a consultant. But they made it very clear they were firing him, and they were, said they were firing him because of a lack of candor. So there was a brief period where my phone was blowing up with rumors about what Sam Altman had done to get himself fired by the OpenAI board because it had to be something really bad to get fired as the head of you're the face of AI. You're the face and founder. or You're the guy running this ninety six billion dollar company. You must have done something terrible. But it looks like we haven't heard any evidence that that's actually the case. And it looks like there's actually this sort of theological schism you were just talking about. And so you're hearing terms like effective altruism, doomerism. Um, Can you just get a little deeper into how there were two different camps at this same company and how they split? Yeah, so it's a it's a long and very convoluted story, and it would take maybe an hour to explain the whole thing. But I'll just With a do flo- the f- and, and a flowchart. Yeah, flowcharts <laughs> tend flow to flowchart. But basically, here's the deal: there is this movement called effective altruism, and effective altruism. If you've heard of it, you've probably heard of it during the Sam Bankman Fried uh, FTX. It's all scandal. coming together. It's just a Sam, and effective altruism means something bad. Yeah. So this is a group of people um, that started, you know. B- maybe a decade ago in earnest, although the the ideas are are somewhat older than that, they are basically trying to use rationality and logic to determine how to do the most good in the world. And several years ago, a lot of people in this community got worried about AI risk, and specifically what they call X-risk, which is the risk that AI could cause us to go extinct as a species. And so for various reasons, they decided this was a top priority for them. And so a lot of effective altruists went to work in the field of AI and AI safety, especially at companies like OpenAI. A lot of their early uh, researchers were either affiliated with effective altruism or sort of sympathetic to their views. And... um, these people have sort of fallen out of favor uh, with OpenAI in in more recent months, um, in part because they are they are seen as being overly negative, overly pessimistic. Um, sometimes you hear people call them doomers, and so um, there is another crowd inside of OpenAI that is more excited about AI and less worried about existential risk and more commercial in how they're pursuing it. You know, they want to build AI into a profitable business and build it into popular products. And so those are the kind of two warring camps that have been inside OpenAI this whole time and really came to a head uh, last week. But Sam Altman's been doing this tour where he says, I'm building this new technology. It's really great. Also, it could be really dangerous. Is he both an enthusiast and a doomer? It seems like he's he's pro-enthusiast. 
He has been trying to walk a very careful line. So funnily enough, you are not the only uh, podcaster who had an episode uh, become suddenly obsolete last week. <laughs> um, my co-host and I uh, on, Hard, on Hard Fork, Casey Newton, actually interviewed Sam Altman uh, two days before he was fired as the, the CEO. And um, you know he had no idea any of this was about to happen to him. We obviously had no idea. So we had this long conversation. But one of the things we talked about was this question of whether he is a, a more of a doomer or more of a what they would call an accelerationist, someone mm-hmm. who thinks that AI should is good and should move faster and we should kind of get out of the way. And he said, basically, he thinks AI is going to be amazing, but he also thinks that if we don't get it right, it could be sort of disastrous. And so he's sort of trying to play both sides of this uh, debate and, and really listen to and express the concerns of both sides. And the other thing that is confusing and confounding to a lot of people, including me, is that OpenAI is a nonprofit that also has a for-profit arm. So when we talk about this thing theoretically being worth $96 billion, that's like a subsidiary of the nonprofit org, and the nonprofit board is the one that fired Sam Altman? Yeah, it's a very confusing and convoluted structure. But basically, you know, OpenAI was started in 2015 as a nonprofit. Um, a, a couple years after that, in 2019, they decide, hey, we're building these AI models. They're expensive. We need a lot of hardware. We're going to need to bring on a lot of investments from other companies. They started a for-profit subsidiary. Technically, it's a capped profit subsidiary. And that is sort of what people think of as OpenAI. But there is still this nonprofit board that is in charge of the for-profit subsidiary and gets to make decisions like whether or not to fire the CEO. So now you have this the structure that is very unusual in the tech world. You know, usually the board is composed of you know VCs, investors, uh, you know, early employees, top executives, things like that. And they're 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 they don't generally do much. In theory, the one thing they can do is fire the CEO. And in theory, what they're supposed to do is look out for the good of the company and its investors. But they're they're the idea is they're supposed to sort of help the company be better and more profitable. But that's not the charge here. Exactly. So at most companies, the board has a fiduciary duty to shareholders. At OpenAI, since they have this weird nonprofit structure, that board, the nonprofit board that controls the company, is actually not beholden to shareholders at all. And in fact, many of the people on the board don't own any shares. And they set it up that way on purpose so that in the event that the sort of humanitarian mission of OpenAI to build safe and beneficial AGI were ever to come in conflict with more commercial priorities, the nonprofit would essentially be able to shut it down or at least make some big changes. And so there is an argument. I mean, most people in my Twitter feed are very pro-Sam Altman. I think that's not surprising. They may actually like him. He's also very powerful, very rich, very well-connected, running this powerful startup. He's the kind of guy this the Valley rallies behind. But there are folks saying, hey, if the nonprofit board thinks that Sam Altman is behaving irresponsibly and, and against what they're trying to get done, which is responsible, safe AI, maybe they made the right call. Can you... Can you make a case on behalf of the board along those lines? I mean, I think if we're being sort of, if we're trying to steel man the board's position, um, you could say that, yeah, this is things working as they were designed. You know, the the nonprofit board got uh, worried about the direction of the company and, and they made a move and took out the CEO. I think the thing that's hard to 
sort of reconcile there is, is two things, actually. One is that they still haven't explained what the initial dispute was over. There, there was clearly something that convinced them that this was an urgent threat to the humanitarian right. mission of OpenAI, but they have not communicated what that was at all. And so people are just kind of scratching their heads. And the second thing is that immediately after they made this decision, they appeared to start trying to backtrack, start trying to, uh, you know, think about bringing Sam Altman back. There was this period this weekend where it looked like that was going to happen. They have not been consistent in their messaging at all about this decision. And so that's part of what is making people so frustrated with them. Including, and and, uh, one of the people saying, oh, I regret this is, I'm going to butcher his name, but it's Ilya Skutsever. Sutskever, yes. Ilya Sutskever is the the chief scientist of OpenAI and you know, was basically the, the 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 driving force behind the decision to fire Sam Altman, according to our reporting and, and the reporting of others. He was the person who sort of brought these concerns to the board. And now he is backtracking and saying, I made a mistake and I regret um, I regret doing that. He, he put out a tweet this morning saying, yeah, I, n- I never meant for this to happen. I shouldn't have signed that as if it was just sort of a document put in front of him. Uh, he's also signed a document saying we want Sam Altman back or we're going to quit. So it's, it's very confusing. One of the takeaways, again, this can change in, in my Twitter feed, uh, is, hey, you know what? This kind of shows you that the, the the business model that everyone complains about in the Valley, where investors at VCs and big companies have a lot to say about what happens to these important technologies and all in the service of capitalism, maybe that's a pretty good model. Maybe it's a better model than having a nonprofit and that and for this important stuff and that actually, you know. Yay, capitalism, essentially. Uh, um, Ben Thompson, the very smart analyst, had a note out basically saying that this morning. Do you think this is going to what what effect do you think this is going to have on sort of this kind of model? Um, I mean, it's a very unique model. So maybe there's just it's it's one of one. Will we see something like this again? I, I think we it'll be a while before we see something like this again with this kind of outside investment. I think if you are Microsoft and you have just spent $13 billion, if you've just invested that much money into a company with this kind of wacky organizational structure, I think you're going to think very hard about doing something like that again after seeing how how easily it can become destabilized. And so I think a lot of companies are going to think twice before, uh, you know, investing in something with this kind of governance structure, if something like this with this kind of governance structure even exists in the future, which I'm not sure it will. We'll be right back after a word from a sponsor. Did you know the Capital Ideas podcast now has a new monthly edition hosted by Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin? Through the words and experiences of investment professionals, you'll discover who was their best mentor, what's a mistake they made that changed their approach, and how do they find their next great idea? Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Published by American Funds Distributors, Inc., Support for this show comes from Slack. You're a growing business and you can't afford to slow down. If anything, you could probably use a few more hours in the day. That's why the most successful growing businesses are working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Start a call instantly in huddles and ditch cumbersome calendar invites. 
or build an automation with Workflow Builder to take routine tasks off your plate. No coding required. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. And we're back. Winners and losers. You, you did a column on that. Let's break down a couple of them. Um, again, things can change. But as of now, at 1.51 p.m. on Monday, November 20th, what's the status of, of OpenAI? Can it be a company if, if those I'm seeing now numbers 650 of its 700 employees say they're going to leave? Is there a company if they leave? I mean, I, I guess there's like on paper a company. It's it's not the same company, certainly, if if the vast majority of employees leave. And it's not even clear what the board would be the board of. Um, I mean, they've got know, a commercial deal with Microsoft that's still in place, right? That's right. A but, thing, you know, right? who would keep ChatGPT up and running? Who is going to, you know, build the the next generation of these uh, models? And, and, and who would want to you know, go work for them now. So I think there's a real existential threat to open AI. Yeah, I, I, I don't imagine things are looking good for them if they don't manage to uh, bring Sam Altman back and stop this employee exodus. And assuming that Sam Altman stays at Microsoft, and again, that was in the report, that was Satya Nadella saying, I've hired these guys, we're, we're making this happen. He's the CEO of Microsoft. So it appears to be happening, Could again, could change. On the one hand, he sunk $13 billion into this weird company and it all kind of blew apart. On the other hand, if you said you could buy OpenAI for $13 billion by today's, by today's standards, that would be a deal of a century. Did Microsoft do really well here in the end? Absolutely. I mean, they are the biggest winner in this whole thing. You know, they managed to turn what could have been a, a real threat to them into a real opportunity. Now, they not only have this, you know, existing deal with OpenAI, and they can continue to use OpenAI's models to power their products. But they also, if this, you know, if, if the, the status quo holds, um, and they do end up getting a big infusion of people from OpenAI on this new team led by Sam Altman and Greg Brockman, um, they will effectively have a new OpenAI that they own 100% of, and whose IP will belong to them. And they will have control over this new team in a way that they did not have control over OpenAI under the old arrangement. Why would Sam Altman agree to that? In theory, he could have gone and opened up shop today and had tens of billions of dollars in, in investment capital, in the same way that, that Elon Musk had people just over the transom throwing a billion dollars here and there. I imagine he Sam Altman would have the exact same offer available to him right now. Yeah, I've, I've been calling around on this question um, over the past like 12 hours or so. And I would say um, there, there are a couple things that I've heard. So, so Sam Altman and Greg Brockman, they could have gone out, they could have raised a ton of money. Uh, any investor in Silicon Valley would have written them a, a giant check to start a new AI company. But starting a new AI company has uh, costs associated with it. You know, you've got to form the structure and write the articles of incorporation. And, you know, you have to do all the sort of paperwork that comes with starting a company. But you also have to do things like acquire a bunch of compute. You have to go out and buy a bunch of GPUs from somewhere. And that's not easy to do right now. And so 
with Microsoft jumping in, they can sort of hit the ground running. Um, Microsoft already has all of these, uh, you know, all of these data centers filled with GPUs that they can mm-hmm. use. And so it's just going to be a much easier place for them to get up and running. And then Sam, now we're full on speculation, but one, Sam Altman famously in tech did not own any parts of OpenAI. Maybe there's indirect ownership. I imagine if he's going to go to work for Microsoft, he's not going to do that out of altruism. He's going to say, actually, I would like a significant piece of whatever this ninety six hundred billion, whatever, whatever we think this is going to be worth. I'd like I'd like to own part of that. Do you assume that Microsoft will have to write him some version of a very big check to make this happen? I don't know. I mean, that's that's remains to be seen. Um, I can speculate that I don't think money is all that important to Sam Altman at this point in his career. I mean, he's already fabulously wealthy. He was, you know, running OpenAI with no real stake Mm -hmm. in the company and nothing, you know, financial to really gain from its success. So maybe he doesn't care about money, even if he is working for Microsoft, or maybe this is sort of his chance to, I don't know, get a bigger stake in in something that he's been working really hard on. I don't, I don't know the answer to that, but we'll see. Back to the the bigger picture takeaway, the the argument that AI is this powerful technology that could also doom us has been floating out for a while. It's got skeptics sort of across the spectrum. Uh, they're like there's there's sort of leftish leaning people who say, oh, when you make that argument, you're actually saying that AI is more powerful than it is. There's people like Mark Andreessen who say this is doomerism. Right now, that argument seems to be associated with like real corporate ineptitude. You know, again, the story may may evolve over time, but right now, our understanding is the board really sort of handled this the worst possible way. Does this make it harder for anyone to sort of realistically argue that AI really is a, a threat that we need to be worried about? It sounds like these are sort of like the weird hippies complaining about, you know, some sort of thing that never came to pass and they're stuck in the 60s. Um, these guys seem out of touch and clueless. Is this going to set that argument back? It could. Uh, I, well, this is all speculation since yes. all this is unfolding so quickly. Um, I have talked to people who are sort of in the effective altruist, uh, you know, what you could call the doomer camp. And, um, and they're worried that this will sort of set back the movement because now when people think of, you know, effective altruism, they might think, oh, that's the, the sort of ideology that took down open AI. Or the, and FTX. You know, and FTX, right. Yeah. So I, th- I think there is an argument. But I also think like there's an argument that this was actually a success for the movement, that in, you know, in a very real way, this is a movement that has been concerned that AI was moving too quickly and they wanted a pause. They wanted for there to be some interruption to the acceleration. And this is a pause. I mean, it's going to be, uh, you know, months before, uh, you know, this new They've Microsoft... thrown their bodies on the gears of the machinery. Yeah. I mean, whether you think it was effective or not, they certainly made an impact and they, um, they were able to make a strong statement uh, in favor of caution and safety around AI. One last, then I'm going to let you go, and you can nap or report or whatever you want to do. Do both things at the same time. I originally had you on because we're basically at the one-year anniversary of OpenAI rolling out ChatGPT. It became an immediate sensation. There was an enormous amount of consumer popular interest in AI for a bit. That has faded pretty considerably, and, and there's a little bit. there had been some sourness about sort of maybe what AI means for the Valley. If we step out of all that, we're now a year into sort of AI being mainstream. What, what's, 
what are you most excited about as someone who covers this stuff all the time? So aside from this, this soap opera on steroids, what are you most excited about when you think about AI? Oh, man, it's hard to pull my brain out of the soap opera <laughs> that it's been in all weekend. I mean, you know, I, I think I would say I'm, I'm really, um, I'm really interested in just how AI is working its way into normal people's lives. Um, you know, I have talked to doctors and lawyers and teachers and musicians and filmmakers and all kinds of people who are using this stuff, grappling with the the ethics of using this stuff. Um, and it's just been really fun to kind of see how this technology that kind of arrived unannounced and, and with very little fanfare has just totally... Um, you know, upended some portion of of the world, and um, yeah, it's it's actually like something that I was excited to ask um, Sam Altman about before all of this went down. Um, what was can, his answer, by the way? If I can plug my uh, my now my podcast because we're going to be also releasing the um, the the interview that we did with Sam Altman uh, last week on our uh, show Hard Fork today, uh, so you can go listen to that if you want. But he um, he was just sort of like. Look, we didn't know how big this was going to be, but it's been really gratifying to see all of the interesting and useful and heartwarming and weird ways that people are uh, are using this. And you know, people argue about what he what he said was he doesn't really like this sort of argument about AGI and what counts as being superhuman intelligence. His basic message was: Look, we built a thing, and people find it useful, and that's all that matters. Kevin Roos, it is 2.01. We're going to end the conversation here. If this thing is obviated by the time we published, we tried our best. We did it twice. Uh, hopefully the second time around works. Uh, Kevin Roos is the New York Times, writes the shift column there, does great work there, also does, as he said, Hard Fork, the great podcast with him and Casey Newton. Thank you, Kevin. Thanks, and I'm not coming back a third time. See ya. Thanks again to Travis and Jelani and Julie Myers as well. Thanks to our sponsors, and thanks to our listeners. This is Recode Media. We'll see you soon. More to-dos, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Sometimes doing business has never felt harder, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You can just use HubSpot because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this, high-quality leads, fast-closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark-breaking quarters. It's not a miracle, it's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today.